This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 14, and we are recording on Tuesday, February 2nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Woot, woot. Hooray! <laughs> has all your How snow your melted yet? Oh, oh <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> it melted, like, immediately. It snowed, we were blizzard conditions, stuck inside for three days, and then the next day it was, like, 45 degrees, and everything was just gone. Yep. Yep, yep. Because Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's 70 degrees outside. 70 degrees? Jesus. Yep, it's amazing. It's crazy. I thought 50 was warm. I love it. <laughs> the thing, I love Virginia because you get the extremes of every season for like a week. <laughs> nice. Nice. So in the, in the middle of like August, it's going to be 110 degrees for like three days. Right, right. And then the rest of the time, it's like 80 and it's just very nice and whatever. Right. Nice. Virginia's the best. It sounds like it. Anyway. Do you work for the Tourism Bureau on the side? <laughs> no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it just, it's just, it's my it's favorite place. I don't good. know why anybody lives anywhere else. Well, there you go. Uh, so anyway, for those of you who are new to this show, uh, this is a personalized reading recommendation podcast. So you send us your questions for reading recommendations for yourself, for your friends, for gifts you want to give to people, for your book club, whatever. Any and all questions are welcome. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of each post that goes up on the site. Um, and we will answer them on the show, obviously. we It might not be immediately. We do try to answer the time-sensitive questions as soon as possible, but if it's not a time-sensitive question, it might take us an episode or two to get to it. So don't fret if you don't hear uh, hear it on the air, on the air, on the show, whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is not radio, Nelson. I mean, it kind of is. It's, it's the new radio. Just give us a minute. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Just give us a minute. We will get to your, your question. All right. You want to jump right in? Yeah. You read the first one. All right, all right, all right, all right. This is from Lisa Joe. Um, so, because Jeff on Book Riot talked about the Marilyn Robinson books often, I read them and loved them. Rebecca mentioned Our Souls at Night by Kent Harriff on all the books. I read it and loved it and then read his whole backlist. So now I have a new addiction, Quiet, Soft, Middle America Stories. Please suggest another author or two that can feed my addiction. And I feel that. The Marilyn Robinson pain. I know you do. That's a good pain. All right, let's do our first sponsor before we get to the answers. Um, and then we will answer your question. This Usually I don't... So sponsors provide us with talking points, right? And I usually don't read them straight uh, because I just like talking in my own words about a thing. But this is for a cozy mystery and the, the ad copy is nothing but puns. Yeah. So I'm going, to, I'm going to read it because it's so good. It cannot be approved upon. I'm ready. Okay, so the book is called Murder on Wheels and it's about... A food truck. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And it's by Lynn Cahoon. I know it's amazing. The cover is really great. Um, and the tagline is, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Murder on Wheels is, uh, it takes place in South Cove, California. It's in the middle of this food truck craze that's happening right now that we're all kind of experiencing. Um, and it's about the, the like, you know, cozy mysteries have that amateur investigator thing going on. So it's not like the cops or whatever. It's usually like a bookstore owner or whatever. Um, and so the cozy mystery amateur sleuth in this series is Jill Gardner, who owns a bookstore called Coffee, Books and More. 
So the food truck craze has come to her town, and before she can really start sampling everything that there is to offer, she has to, wait for it, shift gears <laughs> and, wait, 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 and put the brakes on a killer. Oh, what? so good. I know, I know. Uh, so the victim, her name is Casey Austin. She has started a gluten-free dessert truck, because of course she has, and she's really excited about it. But then someone vandalizes her vehicle and steals all of her recipes, and then she turns up dead on a beach. And Jill's best friend, Jill, of course, the amateur detective that went to the bookstore, her best friend Sadie becomes the prime suspect, and hold on, Jill needs to step on it to serve the real killer some just dessert. <laughs> oh, yes. So good. So good. Everything about that paragraph makes me so happy. I, I love mysteries um, and romances, too, where the main character is a bookstore owner. That is, like, my jam. Yeah, it's so great. Mm-hmm. It's so great. And she owns a coffee bookstore, like a coffee right, shop even bookstore, better. which is, Obviously. I want to go to there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so if you are at all into cozy mysteries or cozy mysteries with puns in the title. Or food trucks. Am, or food trucks, then this is a, a great read for you. You know, I like I like reading this kind of stuff in winter when I don't, I don't want to, I don't know what it is about winter that makes me want to read about murder, <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But there it is. It's also when I like to read like really dark Swedish murder novels. So like girl with the dragon yeah, tattoo kind yeah. of stuff. I don't know. Winter, it's just the weather. Uh, so check out Murder on Wheels by Lynn Cahoon and thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, so let's talk about quiet middle America books. Mm-hmm. You go first. Okay. My first pick for this <clears throat> is Half an Inch of Water by Percival Everett. Um, it came out last year. It's a collection of s- short stories set in the West. And if you haven't read Percival Everett before, he is an amazing writer. Like, he is just so good at words, much like Marilyn Robinson. Um And I love that it's a short story collection. Um, I find that that's a lot of fun, especially when it's a quiet story, because like if it's really quiet, a long novel sometimes doesn't make much sense. Um, Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, so they they and they range a lot in subjects. So like one of them is about a boy whose sister died um, and he's fishing. And one of Mm -hmm. them is about an older woman who is riding her horse and like rides into a blizzard and sees some hallucinations hallucinations and another one stars a vet and another one stars a sheriff and like they're all just really different sort of viewpoints on what it's like to be a person who lives in the west with just like a little teensy beatsy touch of um the uncanny sometimes uh it's Mm. really really lovely i loved this collection Okay, so my first pick is called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Dillard. And I feel like Annie Dillard is kind of the nonfiction version of Marilyn Robinson. So Pilgrim at Tinker Creek is not a novel. It's a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a collection of essays almost. Uh, It's a meditation on nature and seasonality and um, like quiet contemplative life, Mm -hmm. basically. So she lives in Tinker Creek, Virginia. Because it's amazing. <clears throat> Thank you. And so the, the the whole book is her in her, like, cottage. Uh, and then she goes for walks around her. It's not a neighborhood because she lives, like, in the country. So she goes for walks down along the creek in her backyard and out into the forest and into the meadows and all of this stuff. And then thinks and just thinks. Like, sits and watches muskrats play or sits. And there's, like, a whole chapter about her sitting on a rock watching a rattlesnake sunning itself and then seeing a mosquito land on the rattlesnake. And for, like, pages. And that sounds so, like, why is that interesting? But she makes it so interesting. And she makes it so, um, like, about giant galactic life questions while she's sitting there watching a rattlesnake. And it's it's just amazing. And so if you are at all into um, nature or if you like 
the seasons because the book is broken up into seasons and she goes out and and tromps through <laughs> the wilderness and all of the seasons uh then i think that's a really great pick and it's super quiet like there's no it's just her in her head there's no drama um there's no like there's no romance there's no aliens there's nothing it's just a woman in you know a small town in america thinking about some stuff and i don't know that it gets much quieter than sitting on a creek bed thinking about stuff Probably not. Although now no, I really I'm, want a middle middle America aliens novel. Somebody write that. Yeah, with, yes, please. No, that would be great. <laughs> um, my other pick for this question is Prodigal Summer by Barbara Kingsolver, who I love. Um, yeah, this one is great. It takes place um, sort of in the forests and then small farms of southern Appalachia. So one of the main character, who's the one I remember the best from having read this years ago, uh, Deanna Wolf, is a wildlife biologist in and she is doing like a stint as a ranger, sort of like she's, you know, keeping an eye on the woods um, all by herself out in the middle of nowhere. And she's been monitoring this den of coyotes. And then there's a hunter who kind of breaks up her solitude and is after the coyotes. And maybe there's like a thing going on between them. Um, and then there's also a farming couple and some feuding neighbors. And um, it's really, really, I just remember thinking, like when I think back on it, it's almost like the whole thing is just sort of green and leafy in my head. Um, mm. It's, yeah, she's really great at at doing nature and people in nature, which I love. Okay, so my next pick for this question is not a book. It's an author, uh, Willa Cather, who what it, I guess is considered like a classic author author of American fiction. She wrote during the late 19th, early 20th century. Um, and she's most well known for her Great Plains trilogy. The first one is O Pioneers. And then I think the second one is The Song of the Lark. And the third one is My Antonia, which is probably her most well-known book. And these are literally just books about normal people in early 20th century Plain State, Nebraska, living their life. And that's it. There is, so I feel like that's exactly what you're looking for. But it's not, you know, in Marilyn Robinson's books are set a little bit more uh, in contemporary life, but it's not so far into the past. Like, if this isn't Dickens, you're not reading about, like, whatever, Victorian industrial smog kind of stuff, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, so they're classics, but not like that. Like, the thing people think when I say that, they're like, eh, big. and they're not huge. They're very small. Um so I'm not going to go into like the plot synopses of all of the books. Suffice it to say, each book is about a family or a person in Nebraska, a plain state, struggling to live the pioneer life. So they've got to farm and not starve. They've got to deal with the winters. They have to deal with their uh, their family problems and their money problems and their relational problems. And they also have to deal with uh, like social um, tensions that are very specific to that time period and the Midwest. So like uh, immigrants coming in and, and taking jobs, that sort of thing. Um, so that's a little timely. Um, that's especially in my Antonia, but they have to deal with religious strife and people do, you know, like breaking social rules and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of um, drama, but it's quiet drama. It's like the quiet drama of living a life in a small town in the Great Plains, which is exactly, I think, what you're asking for. So yeah, anything that Willa Cather wrote, go for it. Yes. I remember Death Comes to the Archbishop very fondly. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I didn't I didn't mention that one specifically because it's in New Mexico, but it's st- it's the same thing. I mean, it's not the middle of no, America. No, he's just like traveling on a donkey through arroyos forever. <laughs> it's, yes. It's yes. great. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. I like that right. one a <laughs> lot. Um, Okay, question two. 
Hi, I'm an English major who has a hard time getting into classic novels. Sometimes I think something that I think, excuse me, something I think is a big contributing factor to this is that whenever I'm reading a classic, I don't see lots of diversity. Uh, reading diversely is something that is very important to me. So my question is, if there are any classics that feature POC or LGBTQ characters out there that you have loved. Well, <laughs> see what happened was yeah, colonialism, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so like finding classics with diverse characters where those characters are not just big old stereotypes is pretty tricky. Yeah. Um, shall I start? I've got yeah. I'll sure. go first. So okay. Okay. So, but there are classics written by people who are not white, um, and you should read those. Um, so, my first uh, pick for you is *The Dream of the Red Chamber*, which I read some of in college. Um, it's by, oh boy, bear with me. I'm gonna get the pronunciation <laughs> wrong, but I'm gonna do my best. It's hmm. Cao Shui Chin, um, and uh, there's a lot of different translations, and it was sort of one of. China's early novels. Um, it's a Romeo and Juliet kind of star-crossed lover story. Um, it also is a really interesting picture of um, Chinese civilization during the Ming Dynasty. So definitely check that one out. Um, I have yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this is such a difficult question. When I when I first started book book blogging, my blog was called Dead White Guys because <laughs> of this exact problem that that it's really difficult to find classics that aren't just by or about dead white men so that said it, it okay so you're asking for for classics that have characters that are people of color or lgbtq that's going to be a lot more difficult i think than um finding classics by people who were people of color or who were themselves lgbtq so maybe try that track i mean i do have um a, two books that that have people of color in them um but another thing that you might try is, is authors so um uh, my first suggestion was the tale of genji which is uh, largely considered to be kind of the world's first novel ever written. It's a long, a very, very, very long, so long, court, so long uh, courtly romance um, from Japan. And the author is Murasaki Shikibu, who I think was a woman. It was a woman, was yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, right. Yes. Woman wrote the first novel. Mm-hmm. Mm, what about it? And that's that's really all there is to say about it. It's a giant, long, courtly Japanese romance written by a woman in the 11th century. So if you want, um, and that is like a classic. It's kind of the first classic, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So check that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my other pick for you is Clotel or the President's Daughter by William Wells Brown. So this was published in 1835. Um, and it was written when the rumors were then unconfirmed that Jefferson had children with one of his slaves. Um, Mm. And so um, it's sort of a novel about that um, written by a black man. So um, it's about, you know, it begins with, you know, this auction, slave auction, and then um, the, the, like the, you know, it's, I mean, it's master slave relationships. um, And, uh, and it's, I mean, it's pretty intense. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing, especially because there's new, there's a new book coming out, or maybe it's already out that's about Jefferson and Sally Hemings, um, which are not the names of the, like, it's definitely a novelization of this situation. Um, But I think it's a really interesting early look at that whole thing. Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I like sputtered on that one. (laughs) 
So my second pick for you, um, book, not author, is The Arabian Nights, which is Tales of a Thousand Nights, uh, written by anonymous anonymous author. Um, there are several volumes of this, and it is also giant and huge. Like, volume one, if you get the Penguin Classics translation, volume one is a thousand pages, and there are several volumes. So you can find abridged versions that are just one book of about a thousand pages, if that's what you would prefer. So a lot of our famous stories that are just kind of a live in pop culture come from the thousand and one nights like the the alibaba tale of the 40 thieves kind of thing um but the basic idea if you've never heard of like the background is that a, a woman named shahrazad is set to marry a king and he kills his wives every morning um after consummating the marriage at sunrise he kills them so to save herself she begins a sequence of stories that lasts a thousand nights or a thousand and one nights, and every every night ends on a cliffhanger, so that he has to keep her alive to continue to hear the rest of the story. So something that might some readers find a little irritating about that is that you don't ever really get closure on a night's story because she immediately takes it into the next tale. So if that's a thing that's going to bother you, maybe skip this one. I think it's fascinating, um, and it's just a it's one of those books that uh, is good to read. So you if you're interested at all in like the history of the evolution of literature or storytelling. Or, or anything like that. And she's just a great storyteller. I assume, I the, the writer's anonymous, but I'm again assuming that it's a woman for some reason. I don't know. I mean, the whole setup sounds like... Sounds very feminist <laughs> yes, it does. It does. So, <clears throat> do you have, do you, that, you don't have any more, Nope, right, that's, that's what I got. Okay, then I will just name a couple of authors you might want to check out who are not necessarily writing about people of color or LGBTQ characters, but who themselves were. So um, Dumas, the French author who wrote Count of Monte Cristo, his father was black, so that's a person of color. Virginia Woolf was bisexual, and she wrote Mrs. Dalloway, which I think, actually, I think one of the characters in Mrs. Dalloway, I don't remember. I don't remember mm, if one of the characters no, I mean, in Mrs. Dalloway I think you're gay. thinking of the, um, I don't think anybody was openly gay in her novels. Yeah, because the the hours kind of rewrites Mrs. Dalloway plus oh, the gay yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. right? But yeah, well, I was thinking about the soldier for some reason. Oh, I thought he was. Maybe. I don't remember. It. I, don't, I might be making that up. Yeah. Uh, and then Oscar Wilde, of course, uh, was gay and wrote some of the. If you like reading plays, The Importance of Being Earnest is a hilarious read, um, and Portrait of Dorian Gray um, as well. So those are just three classic authors that you can read, uh, whose characters aren't necessarily going to fit the bill, but who themselves do. Okay, moving on. Question three. Um, this is from Catherine. <clears throat> I'm working my way through the 2015 Read Harder Challenge. So this is the challenge that we put up on the site, a reading challenge uh, last year that was two tasks a month um, for you to just expand your reading horizons. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Um, anyway, I'm working my way through the 2015 Read Harder Challenge, and I'm having trouble with the indigenous cultures requirement. I realized recently what a big gap that is in my reading, and I don't know where to start. I've considered 1,000 White Women by Jim Fergus and Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by Dee Brown, but I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea of having the book or books that I choose to be written by white men and not people who themselves are from an indigenous culture. I prefer fiction, but I'm certainly open to nonfiction. And um, yeah, that's from Catherine. So you go first, girl. Yeah, anything <laughs> by Sherman Alexie. Anything. <laughs> he is one of my favorite authors. Um, he is fantastic. Um, there's a few you might have already heard of if you're not familiar with him. Specifically, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian which is, I guess, technically YA, um, but it's a really fantastic mm. read. It's about a young cartoonist boy named Junior who's growing up on the Spokane Indian Reservation, and he leaves his school on the res to go to an all-white high school where, like, literally he's the only 
Indian. Um, and then so he faces pushback both from his new classmates and from the classmates that he left behind on the res and also is just struggling with like being a human in the world, like especially a teenage human. And there's a lot of things that happen to you as a teenager that are hard to deal with. Um mm whether about race or just like bodies or, you know, relationships or all of those things. Um, and Flight is my other favorite of his novels. Um, I'm, I'll like stop talking now. You can look all these up. But Sherman Alexie is really, really good. Um, my first pick for this is Roundhouse uh, by Louise Erdrich. Really anything yes. by her is a great pick. But this one won a National Book Award. So if you want a place to start, that's a good one. Um, so it takes place in the late 80s in a reservation in North Dakota. A woman is attacked and raped. And her the, it's told from the point of view of her son, who is 13 years old, uh, Joe. And he is trying to live his life, uh, help his mother recover from her rape. But she's not leaving her bed. She won't talk to him or anyone else. She won't um, leave the house at all. And his fa- Joe's father, her husband, is a tribal judge. And he's trying to get justice from the situation but she's not really talking like she won't identify the person who raped her she doesn't want to talk about the situation at all and so joe who again is 13 becomes you know like wildly frustrated with the situation because he wants justice for his mother he doesn't know how to handle his his new life without his mom really in his life and his father of course is going through his own trauma about it so him and his friends go off to get answers, which of course is a really dangerous thing to do, um, and their their quest kind of takes them to what is called the Roundhouse. That you know, obviously from the title of the book, which is a sacred place of worship for his Ojibwe, the Ojibwe tribe, which is the the tribe that they live in. And so it's it's a lot about race relations between the people who the white people who live around the reservation and the people who live on the reservation, because his father is a tribal judge, and the the crime took place on reservation land there's like a lot of um like bureaucratic red tape stuff about who can or can't investigate the situation and since she's not since the woman who was raped isn't really talking and isn't not quote-unquote helping but she's you know traumatized and doesn't want to talk about it um everybody's just really frustrated and, and hitting a lot of walls and i heard louise erdrich talk about her inspiration behind this book and and it's the fact that tribal judges don't have as much power as they should when white people come on their land and commit crimes. Um, so it's really kind of about that. And it's a very difficult and frustrating read, but totally, totally worth it. Especially if you're looking for some for this requirement specifically. But I loved it. Yes, yeah, she's amazing. Yo. Uh, my next pick for you is a graphic <laughs> novel. Uh, it's called The Outside Circle. It's by Patty LeBouquin Benson, illustrated by Kelly Mellings. Um, and it's about uh, Patty LeBouquin Benson is a Metis, which is one of the Canadian um, indigenous tribes. And um, it's about the graphic novel is about two Aboriginal brothers who are trying to deal with basically the results of systemic racism. So poverty, drug abuse, gang violence, prison, um, addiction, all of these things. Um, And so, yeah, uh, one of them ends up trying to break up a fight, which goes horribly wrong and sends him to jail. Um, And he... It's sort of about the relationship of the two brothers as one of them goes to jail and one of them is outside and, you know, how to 
how they're trying to negotiate both their relationship and their relationship to their own heritage and to the rest of society. Um, it's really well done. I thought it was fantastic. And it's a beautiful uh, graphic novel. So my second pick is actually a horror novel, a horror young adult novel. It's uh, called The Night Wanderer by Drew Hayden Taylor. And Drew Hayden Taylor is an, a member of the Obidri tribe from Canada. And so this book is so, it's so good. It's about a teenage girl named Tiffany. She's 16. She lives on the Otter Lake Reservation with her father and her grandmother. Her mother has left her family to marry a white man and have, uh, you know, start a new family. And so she lives with her dad, who is upset about that situation still, and her grandmother. And her grandmother is such a fascinating character. She's like one of the only remaining people who speaks the, the language um, and tries to get Tiffany to care about it and to care about like the cultural traditions of their tribe and she just doesn't because she's 16 and 60 year olds don't care about anything so you know <laughs> so true <laughs> so, yeah I know and so like she's trying her family's trying to instill all this like culture and tr- like reverence for tradition into her and she's like but my boyfriend is acting weird and my my midterms and all this stuff she's just a, and I love that she's a typical 16 year old girl because there's not enough room I don't think in in literature for teenage girls to be teenage girls but she is she's you know selfish and kind of bratty and her and complicated and she feels a lot of feelings anyway so in the middle of that situation her father takes in a border and the border turns out to be a vampire (laughs) um you know as they often do (laughs) and so he is also a member of the Ojibwe tribe who has who left went to europe centuries ago and has been in europe all of this time and has kind of come home to die because he's He's very old and he's there. He's just tired, you know, like nothing about the world is anything um, that he remembers. And so he meets Tiffany because he's living in her house, obviously, and sees that she's this young thing who doesn't care at all about the home that he left centuries ago. And so their interactions are just really fascinating and interesting. And it's also very creepy. So it's a nice blend. And I like it a lot. Very nice. All right. Okay. We're, we're booking. We're getting through these. I know, I know. We're doing good. We're doing good. Um, okay, so the next question is from Kate. Uh, she says, hey there, when books come up in conversation, my close friend and colleague will usually say, I don't read, but often he tells me that he would like to read more. He re- I recently recommended The Martian, and he absolutely loved it. Every time Mark Watney got into some shit, I'd get excited text messages. <laughs> That's the best. I love when that yes. happens. Um, she says, one of them read, OMG, I love reading! Exclamation mark. Yay! Yes. Good work. Good work, Kate. Um, okay, so she wants some recs for this colleague. Uh, she says, things that may be useful. When he was younger, he read and liked a lot of Michael Crichton. He's a high school band director. He's super witty and has a great sense of humor. Um, can I go first? Can I go first? Yeah, okay. of course. So <laughs> my first pick for you, I'm like excited about this pick, um, <laughs> is called Bellwether Rhapsody. It's by Kate Reculia, And it is about a high school music festival. So like perfect for band director, nice. Mr. Reader person. Um, so it starts off with these kids who are headed to like this old hotel um, where the high school music festival is going to be. It's a bunch of different schools all meeting together to have this thing. Um, and so they're band kids and one of them is driving with the band instructor um, and they all get to the hotel and then one of the musician kids disappears from a room that was the site of a famous murder slash suicide from 15 years earlier. So it's kind of like The Shining meets Glee. 
Mm. which is awesome it's like a closed house mystery you know I, I just think it's really cool um and Kate is really funny and sharp and so it's a it's just a really fun awesome read Okay, so my first pick for you is Ready Player One by Ernest Klein because I always I tend to recommend The Martian and Ready Player One as a unit, and I'm not I haven't really figured out why. But the reason that I picked this for you specifically is because there's so many '80s music jokes in this book, and I thought maybe a high school band director would find them funny. But um, so it takes place in 2044 or 45, so in the future, and reality, you know, America is not doing so hot, and it's following a kid named Wade who is poor. But and so when you're poor in this world, you don't um, like it's not really that different from now. You don't have a lot to do and you don't have a lot to eat and all of these things. So he he gets into a virtual utopia that's called Oasis, and that's the only time that he really feels like he's doing anything with his life. So he's devoted himself to kind of solving puzzles within this world, um, and the creator of Oasis, which is this giant universal video game that pretty much everyone plays in this reality. Um, has hidden a bunch of Easter eggs in in the game. And the point is that people, if you solve all of his riddles, then you win, like, I don't even know, it's like a bajillion dollars, basically, right? It's like a, a vast and giant fortune. And he released these Easter eggs years ago, but no one's been able to figure it out. And then Wade unlocks the first clue. And so, of course, in doing that, in unlocking the first Easter egg, all of these other people come out of the woodwork, including, like, government operatives and all of this stuff, um, to, to keep going, to follow the riddles uh, to the end so that they can win this big, giant fortune. And... Uh, it's got an excellent and hilarious cast of characters, and all of the Easter eggs are based on 80s trivia, 80s pop culture. So movies, books, music, that kind of stuff. So if your friend is at all an 80s nerd, it will be such an enjoyable read. And it's funny. It's funny and fast-paced in the same way that The Martian is, and the, the humor is really like irreverent and goofy. Um, but there is also that kind of science-y angle. I mean, The Martian is a lot more hard science, and this is just more like sci-fi, um, you know, computery type stuff but it's still got a touch of that so i think it's close enough that he'll enjoy it nice okay my next pick is pim by matt johnson which is one of the funniest books i read last year it's been out for longer than that but i just read it for the first time last year it is bitingly funny so the main character is um a professor of american literature chris jane's um, he is a black man, and he is obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe. In particular, this one novel, Poe's only novel, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Um, and in the course of, like, getting fired and his life is just kind of falling apart, he discovers a manuscript that seems to suggest that that novel was based on real events. Um, and so now he wants to find this mythical island, uh, Salal, that um, that Poe describes. Um, and and in, in the way Poe describes it implies that it's like a bastion of um, African people, like that everybody there is black in the novel. And so the Chris Jeans is like, oh, my God, what if there's like actually black people at the North Pole? Because that's kind of where this is or excuse me, the South Pole. So that's kind of where the island is supposed to be. Um, so he puts together an all black, all black crew to go on the trail and try to find this island. Um, and things go really, really crazy. <laughs> um, it is so smart. It's so funny. And it's also obviously very much about like culture and black culture and African-American culture and all of these things um, and Poe um, and literature. And it is just a really 
Oh, I just died. The whole it's so good. It's so so good. I loved it. Matt Johnson is great. He gets really oh good God. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. I still haven't read The Loving Day, but it's like very high on my TBR list. Um, All right. Anyway, okay. Um, my next pick is The Last Werewolf by Glenn Duncan, which is actually the first book in a trilogy. So if you like it, you can keep going. I love, I love this book so much. I love it. So it is, as you can tell, about The Last Werewolf. It takes place in the present day. And the main character's name is Jake. He is a 200-year-old uh, werewolf who is having an existential crisis, as you do. So he feels kind of bad about how well, the things that he has to do to survive, but not bad enough to stop doing it. But now he realizes that he's, you know, he's the last of his kind. He's experienced everything there really is to experience in life over his uh, 200 years. And now he's just depressed and is considering ending it all, even though it would mean... The lo- even though it would mean that there would be no more werewolves. So he would just essentially be ending this big, you know, myth and legend of humanity. Um, and it would be pretty easy for him to do it. He would, you know, silver bullet, whatever. And so he's being hunted by two different groups who want to keep him alive for their own reasons that I'm not going to go into because of spoilers. And then there's, an, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but there are vampires involved. And um, so he has to decide. He's like running for his life, but he's trying to decide throughout the book if it's even worth it kind of a thing. But he is this bitingly witty, sarcastic, genius character. So all of his um, like rants are full of these literary references. Like my favorite line, I think, is uh, he gets stuck with a guy when he's about to change into a werewolf. And he doesn't want to hurt the guy because he feels bad about having to do this every month. But then, uh, of course, he does. And so the line is like, reader, I ate him. Yes, <laughs> which, so is, which is so great, which is, of course, a Jane Eyre when she says, reader, I married him. Anyway, it's just right. hilarious. Uh, and the whole book is like that, just like puns and quips and sarcastic. It's kind of a Chuck Palahniuk kind of really gross and dirty and gritty and hard to read, but so funny you can't stop. And um, you said your friend had a great sense of humor. And so I think that this is a thing that he will enjoy. It's so funny. And the so writing dirty. is amazing. Like, it's so dirty. It's so the most dirty. dirty. <laughs> um, but, like, the scene where he changes for the first time, it was just some of the best writing I've ever read. Like, not just in fantasy or science fiction or anything like that, but the, the transformation, it's just amazing. Like, the way that Glenn Duncan's mind works is really strange and fascinating. So, yeah, read it. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the slogan for Get Booked. Just read just it. Read just it. go read it. <laughs> Oh, second um, sponsor. That's you, girl. Time for our second sponsor, Ooh. which is Penguin Random House Audio. Um, so where are my crafters at? I know where you're at <laughs> right because here. I was tweeting with one of you this morning. Um, <laughs> we were, like, exchanging pictures of our cross stitches, which, P.S., if you are listening and you are crafting, like, send me your pictures. I want to see the pictures of whatever you're working on. Same. And so, and if you need something to occupy yourself while you are crafting, audiobooks are a great idea. It's multitasking, right? You can knock some books off your TBR list. Um, and they have set up this site. It's tryaudiobooks.com slash crafter, where they are specifically re- recommending certain titles. You can get a free download. And there's this, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, there's this thing um, that says uh, sound advice. And you tell it how long you are crafting for, and it It'll recommend you an audiobook based on the length, which is pretty sweet. Um, and the picks are really good. I was poking around on the site the other day, and like Lauren Groff is on there, Geraldine Brooks, there's the Elizabeth Gilbert Big Magic, like all of the titles that they've chosen to highlight. There's some really solid picks in there. I think there'd be a lot 
um, regardless of like, you know, because sometimes it seems like it's, you know, oh, is it mostly fiction? Is it mostly nonfiction? But yes, there are a lot of good different kinds of books. Yeah, man. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. the new Chris Bold. I've never said his I name know, out right? loud. Bojalian. Thank you. You're welcome. And Jojo Moyes is in there too. Like, gotta love Jojo Moyes. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's a really solid list, and you can get one of them for free, which is exciting. Are you crafting anything right now, Amanda? I um no. 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 Well, I, I just finished uh, the I finished the Hunger Games cowl thing oh, nice. that Katniss wears, um, and then I when I made that, I got like eighteen requests. For it. So I've just <laughs> yes, you did. I, I was one of them. You were yeah, and so I made I made like six of those <laughs> over the last couple of months, and that's all I've been working on. Um, so I guess yes, Katniss cowls from right, Hunger right. Games, but I'm not. Go- so I'm taking a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't knit another thing. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to put it down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I like the idea of audiobooks while you're crafting because I don't have a commute that will let me listen to audiobooks. Like yeah. it seems like everybody listens to audiobooks in the car, which is like nice if you have a car. But I don't have a car. I take public transportation. And was that so. you on Instagram? I saw cross stitching bell hooks. Yes, it was me. That's amazing. Yes, <laughs> because I am working on a feminist sampler for my niece's nursery. And and the pattern, which I got from badasscrossstitch.com, um, is so good. And it has, like, Malala Yousafzai and Bell Hooks and Ada Lovelace and all of these amazing feminists with, like, there's, like, little sayings for each of them. It's so good. It's so good. So, that yes, is so I will be, you. That I will be so listening good. to audiobooks about feminism while I cross-stitch that. Like, I feel like Fates and Furies is a good match for that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I love me an angry, rage-filled woman. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you want to check it out, go to tryaudiobooks.com slash crafter. All right. So, question number five. This is from Olivia. I'm new to the Book Riot community. Shout out to the guys at Overdue Podcast for pointing me in your direction. Thanks, guys. Uh, And I've pretty much blown through all of your previous episodes. Thanks for contributing to my ever-growing TBR problem. But I have a bit of a book problem at the moment, and no amount of Googling has been able to help. I am a nursing student and currently work with an at-home hospice service. I'm desperate for books to read to patients who are not as reactive or social as others. I'm usually speaking to elderly patients, some with varying degrees of dementia, but they enjoy hearing books uh, read aloud even if they can't necessarily understand them. I need something squeaky clean and easy to read, but that doesn't come off as patronizing or childish to any family members hanging around. If you could give me any kind of series or a couple of longish titles, I would really appreciate it. That's a great question. It is. It's such an interesting question. Yeah. Yes. All right. You want to start? Yeah, yeah. I'll You've start. got more than me, so yeah. I do. <laughs> um, I don't actually recommend... I mean, you could read the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy out loud, but I particularly recommend The Hobbit mm. um, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, it's the first one. It's it's like a reasonable length. <laughs> um, it has a lot of fun characters, so like you don't even have to do voices, but the dialogue kind of speaks for itself. And there's like the fun rhymey stuff in there, like when they're singing songs about you know marching or Mirkwood Mer- or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I yeah, like The Hobbit was one of the first books that was ever read aloud to me as a human and um and so i remember it very fondly as a good read aloud um so my first pick is a series uh, the flavia de luce series by alan bradley the first book in it is called sweetness at the bottom of the pie and these are agatha christie style murder mysteries they're very clean um they're not i mean they're murder mysteries so obviously someone dies but there's not any like on page violence of any you know it's not gory or anything like that it takes place in the 50s uh, in a dilapidated big mansion estate in England, the main character is a girl named Flavia who's 10 years old. She is 
a um, chemist. So she's like obsessed with chemistry. She's a really, really smart and precocious kid, but she's not annoying. Um, so when you say uh, you don't want to listen to anything patronizing or childish, she's not like that. She's not like a, you know, the typical precocious narrator who says all the smart things and really drives you up a wall. She's not annoying at all. She's a great, great character and a great narrator. Um, she lives in this mansion with her father, who is kind of absentee. He was a veteran of World War II, and so he's got he's dealing with that kind of PTSD. He basically ignores his children. Um, she has two older sisters, two or three, I don't remember, who don't like her. She doesn't get along with them, and her mother is dead. So she's basically at her own devices in this very small English village in the countryside, and she solves crimes. And they're easy to read out loud. I've actually read the first one out loud before. Um, and so I feel like if you're reading it to patients who are with you mentally, it'll be interesting enough to keep their attention because who doesn't love, you know, who done it. Um, but even if they're not, the people around you will be interested or you will be interested. Because one of the things that I don't like about reading out loud is is it's boring. It can be really boring for the person doing it, even if the person being read to enjoys it. But um, there's enough here, I think, to keep whoever's listening, whoever's paying attention invested. And there are seven books in this series right now, and a new one comes out next year. So you've got plenty of material there. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. My next pick is All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet, which is kind of like a older classic. Um, so James Harriet was a veterinarian, and he, like, has written extensively about nature and animals and he kind of roamed his local area and like found birds that needed healing and watched humans and animals interacting. Um, and so uh, this is a sort of a series of memoirs of which this is the first one. Um, and it's sort of about him being, you know, a young veterinarian just starting out in rural Yorkshire. Um, and I mean, some of it's sad, Um but I think that, you know, there's a lot of that's fun, too. And there's nice nature stuff and sort of inspirational thoughts. Um, so that might be a good one. I mean, it's, it's squeaky clean. It might be a little sad at certain points, um, but it's, it's not dirty in any way. Um, so my second pick for this was Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan, uh, which takes place in California. And it's about a guy who works as a graphic designer and then the recession hits. So he loses his job and he takes a position working the night shift at a 24-hour bookstore, really like dusty and decrepit, um, kind of, you know, the magical place of an old used bookstore that's like next to a strip club in San Francisco. Um, and he realizes over the course of a couple of months while he's working there that there's something really weird going on in this bookstore. A set number of regulars who are all elderly patrons come in almost every night and there's, like, I don't remember how many, like a dozen, and they return books from a one set of shelves and then check them out and then check out a new one. And he is ordered to record their movements as they come and go, but only these particular regulars. And he realizes that there's not enough traffic or business other than these people who never pay uh, to keep the store open. So there's a mystery to, sol to be solved here. The owner of the 24-hour bookstore, Mr. Penumbra, is an elderly man who seems very sweet and wise, but he's got a lot of rules, like you're not allowed, don't take books out of the store, you're not allowed to touch this, that, or the other thing, always record the movements of these people. Um, and so it's kind of a mystery. Like, he's got to figure out what is going on in Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. How does he stay open despite the fact that no one ever buys anything? Um, and then it turns out to be, like, this big cult. And there's all of this uh, end-of-the-world doomsday stuff going on. And it's just really funny and lighthearted and kind of sweet. Um, and I think since out of this giant cast of characters, the majority of them are are 
older, which is kind of rare for a big popular novel, I think. Um, so that might be something that'll keep somebody's attention, especially if you're dealing with elderly patients. That other than the main character and his girlfriend, almost everyone in the book is a senior citizen going on these really like grand and interesting adventures. So, yeah. Nice. So my last pick is uh, My Man Jeeves, the first book in the Jeeves series by P.G. <laughs> Woodhouse. Um, who doesn't love Jeeves? So good. So good, right? <laughs> so if you haven't read any Woodhouse, um, they're a series about um, a butler or <laughs> like personal gentleman, as they call them, um, uh, Jeeves, who is sort of basically the caretaker and like, fixer-upper for the very haphazard Bertie Wooster, Mm -hmm. who's always getting into trouble. So it's very sort of like slapstick and silly and it's but it's aristocratic slapstick, which is kind of fun. Um, And they're very episodic. So if you're picking up and putting it down and picking it up and putting it down, that's not a problem. Um, Super funny. And there are a million Jeeves novels, like Mm -hmm. a million. So this will give you this will get you through a lot. And who doesn't love Jeeves? I mean, yeah. All right. Last question. Last question. Your turn. You're doing so good. All right. This question gives me a lot of feelings, so bear with me. We're going to sputter a little bit. Yeah. So this is an anonymous anonymous question. It says, I never really wanted kids, and the more my friends and family have them, the less I want them, but I feel very alone in this resolution. My friends don't get it, and my family constantly tries to change my mind. They genuinely don't understand when I say that I don't feel that feeling in my gut, that longing. I actually feel kind of bad for parents with children taking over their lives. All the books I read have women who dream of children or have them finally in the end, fulfilling our duty to the human race or who are so sad and empty from the lack of them. My husband doesn't want them either, but today he was like, we are getting left behind our last friends without kids just adopted. I hadn't felt pressure to decide until now, and I feel like some literature would definitely help. Oh, Lord, do I have feelings about this. Girl. (laughs) As a formerly married person who very consciously chose not to have children, like, I feel you. Like, it's okay. I have also never, like, people talk about the biological clock, and I know what they mean, but that is not part of my existence. Um, And it's okay. Like, I validate you. You do not have to have children to live a fulfilling life. That is not to say that you shouldn't have children if you want them. Like, kids are great. I also love other people's children. I'm obsessed with my niece. Like, children are fantastic. But that doesn't mean you have to have them. Right. Uh, I do have kids. I've got two kids. They're twins. They're four years old. And I can tell you now that my life before my kids was not any more or less fulfilled than my life after my children. So you will not be less happy if you decide to stick with your decision to not have kids. I also have a lot of feelings about this because I have a lot of friends who have decided not to have children and I look at their lives and they're so happy and it has nothing to do with whether or not they've got kids and I will defend their decision and their their happiness in that decision to the death because screw you, everybody who makes people feel bad about not having kids. Some people just don't want kids. <laughs> right. But I also, I do also understand being conflicted about it. Totally. So yeah, like it's hard to know sometimes, especially because there's so much societal pressure. Like, is this something I want? Is this something I feel like I should want? Like I get it. So, um, so, so my first, yeah, so books. So, and I agree. Rest, like reading some books about this is the best way to do it. 
Um, because books. So my first pick for you is an essay collection called Maybe Baby. The subtitle is 28 Writers Tell the Truth About Skepticism, Infertility, Baby Lust, Childlessness, Ambivalence, and How They Made the Biggest Decision of Their Lives. Um, that question being to breed or not to breed. So it's, you know, 28 people all coming with their very own perspective on this. Some of them have kids, some of them don't have kids, some of them want kids, some of them don't want kids. Um, and they're all talking about you know, what and how and why. Um, and it, it came out of a popular sal- series on salon.com. So it's, it's, there, it's really interesting. And there's a lot of different perspectives here. And so the, maybe this is a good way for you to find out which perspectives resonate the most with you on either side of the debate. Um, my first so, uh, pick for this, uh, I haven't read, but I put this question up to some of the people in our staff. And this is what uh, Rebecca Shinsky came back with. And Rebecca is our uh, well, my boss and um, does not have kids and is super happy with that decision. And she loved this book. It's called Selfish, uh, Selfish, Shallow and Self-Absorbed. It's hard to say. Selfish, Shallow and Self-Absorbed. 16 writers on the decision not to have kids. And it's edited by Megan Dom. And she brought in a bunch of uh, authors who themselves have decided to not have children. And they each wrote an essay about that decision. And it's really centered around the uh, this idea that... Um, if you decide not to have kids, then you're making a selfish decision for somehow, which is a thing I've never really understood. Um, but how, you know, your life isn't going to be that fulfilled. You're not going to have anyone to take care of you when you're old, especially if you're a woman. You Now you're deciding not to have it all, all of this kind of stuff. Um, so some of the authors are like Lionel Shriver is one of the contributors, Sigrid Nunez, uh, Jeff Dyer, all of these really, really big names writing about how they have decided to not become parents in a culture that's really very baby bump fixated kind of stuff. So it's a pretty diverse collection of essays about it. You'll get a lot of different perspectives um, about the decision to not have children. Um, But I think that they will help. I think it'll help you feel better about what it sounds to me like you've already decided to not do, but maybe not. I don't know. So check it out. (laughs) Um, my next pick for you is a novel called Jump at the Sun by Kim McLaren. Um, it is about a woman who is like educated and accomplished and she's a child of, you know, civil rights. And then she kind of goes through these personal moments and finds herself a stay at home mom. Um, and she's trying to deal with the situation of like what it is to be a mother um, and sort of in her family, there's only two models of motherhood. There's her grandmother who abandoned her children to save herself. Um, and then uh, a mother who abandoned her own life to save her kids. Um, and so she is trying to find a middle ground um, and she's really, really struggling with it. And I think that what's nice about this novel is, I mean, it's not like a happy fun read, um, but it's really honest about how it, all the things that can impact what it means to you to be a mother and how you deal with being a mother. So it might be an interesting sort of thought experiment for you, like to see a reluctant mother in action and what it's like to be in that situation. Uh, So my second pick is uh, Ongoingness by Sarah Mangusa, which is a really slim kind of essay. It's like 100 pages from Grey Wolf. Um, And it's nonfiction. It's about the, the author kept a diary for 25 years and it was over... 800,000 words by the time she was in her 40s and she had her first child. And so she recorded everything that ever happened to her. It was an obsession. It was a kind of spiritual practice. It was part of who she is, part of her DNA. And then she had a baby and stopped doing it because she didn't have time to do it anymore. She didn't have the brain space to do it anymore. And so it was really about, you know, a a loss of this this thing that she's done her entire adult life. Um, 
And now she has to figure out how to process everything about her life again. Her, the, like the little minutia of everyday life that she was writing down because she was afraid it was, um, you know, she was going to forget. She has to figure out how to remember that kind of stuff. And she has to grapple with the idea that her legacy, you know, quote unquote, like legacy um, isn't going to be necessarily this big volume after volume after volume of diaries that she's keeping. It's going to be her child, which is like a weird thing to start thinking about. So she in this in like 100 pages, she really, really throws down and wrestles with the concept of what you're losing when you become a mother, which might be something that you would like to think about. Um, and it is more about what you lose time wise and in your intellectual life than anything else. But um, I don't know, that matters to me. And I assume matters to you. And it's a great read, whether or not it matters to you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my last pick for you is um, on the not having kids side. I can barely take care of myself. Tales from a Happy Life Without Kids by Jen Kirkman. Um, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read bits and pieces. Jen Kirkman is hilarious. Um, and everybody, she has gone through life having everybody tell her that she will change her mind about not wanting to have kids. Um, and she's just kind of like, yes, parenthood can be very rewarding, but like, I don't remember to pay my bills I don't remember to buy birthday gifts like I have to go to the doctor like I'm not good at this stuff um so it's thinking about like both being a grown-up um and what it means to take care of yourself and and instead of you know spending all your time thinking about like how you take care of another human being so she's very very funny and this is a really Mm -hmm. great book about like she has decided she is not gonna have kids and this is why yeah Okay, my last uh, pick for you is called Department of Speculation. It's by Jenny Offal. It's a tiny little novel. And I've realized now in answering this question that I have a thing for books by or books about being a mother and not liking it so much sometimes Um, or like how hard it is, which I think would be helpful for you. So this is kind of about that. It's about a woman who is a writer or wants to be a writer. She's struggling to become a writer or whatever. And then she gets married and she has a baby and now she's a mom. So she goes from being what she calls an art monster to being somebody who like packs Cheerios and has to worry about which stroller to buy and goes on play dates and that kind of thing. Just like the very typical stuff of being a mom or being a parent um, and how that interacts or conflicts with being an art monster, which is what she wants to do. And then, uh, so it's a novel. It's not just about the parenting thing. It's also about her marriage and infidelity. Her husband has an affair and then she has to deal with how she gave up her dreams to have a baby with a man who is now cheating on her. And so it's shimmering with all of this like rage and she desperately loves her daughter but doesn't know how to reconcile those feelings with the things that she wants for herself in her life and that is a big question I think people who are considering whether or not they want to have kids um, deal with that's the thing that I was dealing with is like I know what I'm gonna have to give up if I have kids in my creative life and is that something that I'm willing to do and so she's kind of answering that question for herself in the book um and it's short, and her writing is so, like, oh, it's so compact and hard and amazing. Like, cut your teeth on it. It's so good. Uh, so I recommend, even if you're not struggling with this question or don't care about kids at all, you should read it anyway. It's really great. Oh, my God, yes. That was <laughs> one of my favorite books of the past couple years also. Department of Speculation is amazing. It's so funny. Like, it's ragey, oh. funny, ragey, funny. So smart, so smart. And that's it. And that's our show. Yeah, that's our show. Under <laughs> <laughs> we time. Of, we had yes. a lot of feelings about that. Uh Uh-huh, so many feelings. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 
Um, We're here for your feelings. All of them. (laughs) Send us your difficult questions and we will help you. Uh, So, yeah, if you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. Leave a review. It it makes the show easier to find uh, when other people are looking for it. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, two N's, J-E-N-N-I-R-L on Twitter. And thank you to Murder on Wheels, which has the greatest punny title ever, and Penguin Random House Audio for sponsoring the show. And we will be back next week. Have a great day. Yeah.